This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. From the launch your online shop stage, all the way to the we just hit a million orders stage. No matter what stage you're in, Shopify's there to help you grow. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash special offer, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash special offer. Empire. With all this tech, sometimes natural occurrences remain the ultimate limitation. The challenge outdoors is sunlight. It's uh, whether you have too much sunlight, too little sunlight. You know, let's say there's a rainstorm that kind of blows in for 20 minutes and then all of a sudden it's sunny again. Um, Or you might be in a stadium. You know, I often think of the U.S. Open tennis where half of the court might be in shade and the other half might be in blazing sunlight. That's Milton Lee, CEO of Keymotion. And while they're locking down content capture on the court, they're trying to work out how to beat Mother Nature. This is the Future Sport Podcast. I'm Bram Weinstein. Milton Lee has quite a background in basketball. He almost went the route of the lonely coach. Instead, he is staying attached to hoops and all other sports for that matter through technological advances. You'll learn about him and Keymotion in a bit and a look at how NASDAQ thinks they might have the right type of solution for those trying to figure out those in-game betting platforms. But first, the future is now. In this bustling world of technology changing sports, we have often profiled the groups who have won their way into the leagues or the teams, which loses sight of the competition to outperform. And in the case of how Major League Baseball wants to track movement, there is a change. Eno Saris joins us now from The Athletic. Hey, Eno, how are you? I'm doing great. Thanks for having me. Uh, Major League Baseball was using a technology by TrackMan, but they're changing to Hawkeye, which is best known for their tech in the tennis world on those line calls that you see in replays. Why are they making the change? Publicly, they're saying that they're making the change because of accuracy issues. Uh, The radar-based technology in TrackMan sometimes fails to pick up certain batted balls, certain pop-ups, for example, go beyond the range of the radar. Um, some ground balls do as well, and there's certain types of spin on the baseball that aren't picked up very well unless you use an optical camera like Hawkeye uses. And you say publicly they're saying that. Are, are you questioning the validity of that? It, the weird thing is that TrackMan, the radar company, did not put a bid in on next year's, uh, on being next year's tracking technology. For, so for some reason they withdrew. And we're not sure why. We're not sure exactly why. That's true. Okay. Um, so you haven't heard from them, right? They're, they're not publicly stating why they don't want to be part of this any longer. That's true. I speculated from uh, some sources within the game that it had something to do with the resources. The company has about 400 uh, track bands in different stadiums, uh, 400 stadiums. And having a partner like MLB uh, – puts a lot of demand on 30 of those stadiums out of the 400. Uh, so there may have been uh, just the allocation of resources issue. Yeah. Uh, what information is important here and pertinent to Major League Baseball as they try to track all this information? 
Well, one of the things that's nice about this new technology is that uh, they will probably get better uh, spin rate ratings on certain pitches, sliders in particular. Um, they probably won't lose pop-ups. And then the, the added benefits in years two and three and down the line, an optical camera will be able to spot the difference between an arm and a bat. That was one thing the radar struggled with. So now we can start to say what is bat speed, what is the bat attack angle, what are the limbs doing, and we can say better uh, you know, what the pitchers are doing with their limbs because it's a camera that's looking at it and can say that's an arm, that's a leg. When a radar looks, it just sees uh, an obstruction. And the purpose of having this information is, is exactly what? Yes, that's a very interesting thing, too, because from the perspective of Major League Baseball as a whole, I think the purpose is to augment the viewer experience on broadcast. So they think that it's a, an added benefit to say things like, well, that was the, the fastest an outfielder has run on a catch uh, you know, in the last five years, or that was the hardest hit ball. And I think that is pretty compelling when you can say, oh, that ball was hit 120 miles an hour. That's the hardest hit ball ever. Uh, or at least since we started tracking it. So those sort of things uh, are, I think, was what baseball is thinking about. But, you know, a secondary client of Hawkeye and TrackMan and all these people are the teams, and the teams are trying to optimize to reduce injury risk, uh, find the best players, uh, develop the best players. So those are slightly competing interests. And what about gambling? Do, do you get any sense that they want to have better information to supply to whoever their partners will be? I do know that from a, a reporter perspective that we are not allowed access to the lineups before those lineups go uh, to MGM, to, to uh, the, the betting partner for, for baseball. So, you know, there is there is a question of where the information goes and who gets access to it first. Um, I have a feeling that this sort of information uh, will go to the teams uh, and the broadcast partners first, because um, um, but it will also go to the betters. But I, I think in terms of uh, you know their priorities for you know where this goes, I think that I think the first priority still is the teams and the broadcast partners, but. Uh, you know, because of gambling and because there's now an official gambling partner for baseball and MGM, um, there are now pathways where information gets shared with them. As well. This is maybe one of the first examples. This is nebulous and complicated all at the same time and very interesting. Ito Saris from The Athletic, thank you so much. Thanks for having me. Coming up, how Key Motion's intelligence is learning on the job. CEO Milton Lee joins us next. Are your eyes showing you everything you need to see? For the fans, instant replay can kind of still do that trick. But for coaches, real-time adjustments are paramount to winning. And that's where our guest, Milton Lee, the CEO of Keymotion, will take us. Hey, Milton, how are you? Thanks for being here. Thanks for having me, Bram. Very excited to talk to you today. Uh, Keymotion, what do you guys do? We're a fully automated video production ecosystem. We film sporting events, whether it's live games, practices, individual workout sessions through our patented automated technology. 
that uses artificial intelligence. And that makes it a lot easier for coaches and players to concentrate on the action on the court as opposed to videoing, recapturing the video, going over the video. We simplify the process. So how does the setup work? Can you explain how many cameras and what is happening? Uh, so we permanently install a couple cameras about a half court in an arena. Um, those cameras are hooked up to Intel servers, and then they're shot directly through the Internet to the cloud. We have proprietary algorithms and software in that Intel server um, that is able to identify player movement on the court and then do what we call framing. And it makes it look like a cameraman is zooming in and out of the action, and it's specific to the movement on the court. So an analogy I like to make is just as we are going to enter an age of driverless cars, we are providing for you humanless cameras. There's no cameraman behind the camera. And how are the broadcasting companies and unions feeling about all of this right now? <laughs> well, you know, there are two theories when you look at automation. One is it's going to take away a lot of jobs. Two is it might just do a lot of jobs that currently aren't being done. And so as we look at the world and the opportunities for key motion in the future, we think we're going to have a much bigger impact filming sporting events that currently aren't being done or just aren't financially um, you know, feasible to continue to be done just because there aren't enough eyeballs on that. So we think we're going to enhance the world of video production and content. And I think the unions are going to have a strong presence in the tier one uh, level of sports content that's going to continue to be produced around the world. We divide the world into four different tiers, and tier one being kind of the marquee properties we think of, NBA, English Premier League, NCAA, March Madness. Um, that's not an area we're trying to overtake anytime soon. So let's talk about some of these, the, the lower tier things, high schools that might want their games broadcast. I assume that that's something you guys could help accomplish for them in a relatively inexpensive fashion. Lower tier colleges, if they wanted that to happen and they don't have television contracts, how does it work with them as they try to produce their own content? Right. So what the challenge is for those high schools is budgeting for the equipment, finding a professional um, and then paying for that professional to film the event, actually getting it up to stream, delivering it, deciding whether or not you're going to have a paywall or if it's going to be free and an advertising model. So we could take care of all those different points of friction for the high school in that we have a model that not only films it, you don't have to worry about hiring somebody, we can deliver it to a platform again, whether you want it for free for everyone to a YouTube or it's delivered to some sort of web page that can have a paywall and somebody subscribes to that. We handle all of that friction and you take it out of your hands. Um, the flip side is that high schools sometimes say, okay, well, we can reduce our costs by using cheaper equipment and we can use students um, and things like that. And it directly affects the quality of the production. And I think over time, as more and more high schools have better productions, they're going to demand um, you know, a key motion type of solution as opposed to just letting some of the students film the event. You don't want 
something that's herky-jerky, something that misses key points in the action, um, things like that, which which we protect against. Yeah, it, there's there's a difference here, right? So the students could do this, but they're not professionals at it, and thus instinctually and professionally, they're probably not prepared to do it at the level that the high school or the school, or whoever it is, wants it to be at. But on your end, I do wonder with the automation of it, where is the human-esque instinct of putting this together where the camera knows to go to the coach at that moment because the timeout's about to be called or goes to the bench because there is a player they're talking to another one. Just those regular human aspects of putting together a quality broadcast. Sure. Um, that's a good question. And in version 1.0, it, the, the system was not smart enough to figure that out. So we're in version 2.0, and we're starting to figure out more and more nuances of the game who's a referee, who's a player, who's on what team. Using our, our artificial intelligence, over the time we see more and more of those games and we are understanding what's going on. We think in version maybe 4.0, 5.0, our algorithms are going to be able to figure out when the coach is pulling a player to the side to say something to him, when you know two players might be squared off and, and when in dead ball situation, um, certainly – when there's action on the ball, when there's a key player, a Bram Weinstein who's hot, um, but he doesn't have the ball, how to zoom in on him. And the beauty of our system is we'll be able to take one camera angle and produce all those 20 different storylines at once through our automation and artificial intelligence, something that a cameraman never could would be able to do by himself. So do you envision this ultimately being partnerships with major networks to cut their costs on how they put together broadcasts? Or do you see a lot of young media companies that want to work with specific leagues and working with you to try to build their own brand profile? How do you see this kind of manifesting in the marketplace? I think it's all of the above. You know, there's a big world of sports media content out there, um, some of which is untapped some of which we think is being quickly disrupted, um, whether it's through Instagram apps or OTT platforms, the ESPN Plus, the, you know, all, everything that's popping up day after day that we hear here in the U.S., it's happening threefold internationally. You know, we are in touch with OTT platforms, um, content aggregators, redistributors of content, different ways of getting the content to the end user all around the world. We operate in 10 countries. We've actually just signed up two new countries to do their entire professional leagues. Um, so we have to try to continue to have relationships with the legacy broadcasters. They have the biggest footprint, and ESPN is the biggest of them all. Um, but we also have to be very cognizant that there is a new wave that's out there, the DAZN business, which John Skipper, the former CEO of ESPN is now the chairman of DAZN and their OTT model as they, they expand around the world. We also have to be very cognizant of the fact that Facebook and Amazon and potentially Apple at some point or what, what other you know, big tech players are going to plow into the world of sports, whether it is um, typical grade A properties like an NBA or is it something at a youth level or a alternative sport like a surfing type sport. So we have to be on their doorstep, knocking at their door and see how um, we can work together. And then, you know, lastly, there's, again, all these apps that get popped up 
every day that with kids smarter than you and I with a new idea of content that might be able to touch a certain demographic, um, we have to be flexible enough to meet their needs as well. So we're not necessarily trying to determine the future of how it hits the end client. We're trying to determine the future of how it's all going to be produced. I would like to hear what your opinion is, though, of the big tech groups, because they, they've dipped their toe in this stuff. Amazon is doing NFL games once a week. They are doing that. So they've, they've taken that opportunity. Facebook is streaming some baseball games. You mentioned surfing. They had a deal with the World Surfing League, and they were doing some content. And all of them are doing all sorts of ancillary sports programming that isn't live events. Do you, do you sense that that is going to change in the near future, that they're going to be big rights holders? I think that at least one of them will get into the big rights, traditional sporting leagues um, you know that we've thought of in the past, whether, again, that's NBA, NFL, English Premier League, um, FIFA, whatever it is, I do think they will get involved in that. I don't know that all of them will. I do think they are very different in the way they look at the world and what they're trying to accomplish. Amazon, when we talk, when we think of their sports group, um, they want to augment and and continue to add to the stickiness of Prime membership um, through the sports vertical. Uh, when we look at Facebook, they want to take advantage of the hyper-localization and power of that community. So it's, it's two very different ways um, of trying to keep their clients. And one is a subscription model and one is an you know, ad-based model. And, but, I, but I no doubt think that those two people will be players. I'm not sure which one might get into the major leagues, and I do think YouTube, possibly Apple, maybe not Netflix, um, but, you know, on the other side of the world, SoftBank is already a player mm. in sports media rights in Japan as is looking to expand their right footprint out throughout Asia. Alibaba is certainly um, looking to get much bigger in sports. Tencent over in China is a huge player in sports and a big partner of some U.S. properties and European properties. And so um, the, the tech proliferation into the world of sports content is only going to continue to rise. Uh, and I'm sure you're happy to work with any of them and all of them if they come uh, knocking at yeah. your door. Yeah. Uh, yeah. <laughs> I, if anyone's listening, yeah. please. My number is. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> um, they know where to find you. Uh, let, let's get you back here stateside for a moment. You, you did a deal with Yale and a couple of other schools uh, prior to the start of the NCAA tournament as you were, the tech was used to help them prepare uh, for the game. So this isn't just a content play. This can work with coaches as well as they have adjustments. Can you kind of take us through what that experiment was like? Yeah. So, so um, you know, we started a partnership with Intel about three years ago. And we had a number of goals um, of things that we wanted to accomplish. Um, and so they pushed forward with some of our coaching platform. Because we use their servers and their AI, we have been able to kind of tailor-make some of our technology um, to the specifics of college coaches and NBA coaches. So we currently deal with about 35 NCAA teams. We had seven NCAA teams in the national tournament um, this year, we've had Villanova, 
um, a, as a client the last three years, so their last two national championships they were using Keymotion. Um, and we have nine NBA teams that use us, including the world champion Golden State Warriors. They use us to speed up their productivity and efficiency on a daily basis. We enable them to do things that they were not able to do in the past. And so Jay Wright from Villanova or Coach Jones at Yale are a perfect example. They will stop practice when they see something they really like or maybe that they don't like. And they'll, the coach will say to the video coordinator, let's play that back. And in real time, the team will go over to the sideline, get on the TV, and look at what just happened. And that can only happen through Keymotion's ability to film um, and then have it stored in the cloud and then shot back down right when they want to see it. Uh, coach Jones, a funny anecdote, is that not only will he use it for coaching, but he'll use it to be the referee on the court. And a player might complain about something, a call that wasn't called, and Coach Jones during a water break will pull up the video and say, hey, still think that was a foul? Um, so, you know, coaches use it to communicate with their players, whether it's strategically or just to get tougher sometimes. Um, they're set in there. Are, are you guys using this for other applications besides sports, like concerts or things like that, uh, other types of, of content? I'd say that's in the roadmap. Um, it's certainly something that we will be able to do. If we were to focus on that today, we'd be able to do it very quickly. But we think the opportunity for us to continue to be the best in class in the world of basketball, uh, we are in hockey, we serve three NHL teams, uh, we are dealing with a few European teams over there, and then splinter out into the outdoors, soccer, football. That's a much more important um, strategy for us than to kind of do everything we can. But eventually, concerts, um, lectures, um, maybe even family-related things. Who knows? People are willing to film anything these days. So who knows where we'll be able to service a need. Um, let me ask you about the outdoor environment games like football and, and the other games that you just you just mentioned. What are the different challenges there? Obviously, it's not an enclosed environment. So what are you guys dealing with to to try to give that type of quality to a team that plays outdoors? Yeah, that's a, that's a great question and a great point. It's not an enclosed environment. Um, so let me start with the tech and the algorithms themselves. We're very confident that we'll be able to adjust to any sport no matter what. Um, we've already played around with outdoor sports, so we have uh, initial kind of internal feedback on how that's going to look, and we're pretty excited about that. The challenge outdoors is sunlight. It's uh, whether you have too much sunlight, too little sunlight. You know, let's say there's a rainstorm that kind of blows in for 20 minutes, and then all of a sudden it's sunny again. Um, or you might be in a stadium. You know, I often think of the U.S. Open tennis where half of the court might be in shade and the other half might be in blazing sunlight. Um, cameras have a very difficult time. Rather, the sensors on the cameras have a very difficult time adjusting to this variance. Um, and so typically there needs to be a manual element that's moving that back and forth. And we're just, you know, working on the algorithms to adjust for these lighting variances. Um, you know, if you think again of the U.S. Open analogy, they're using like a $200,000 camera to film that event, so that's why it can look great, whether it's in the shade or in the light. We're using much more lower-cost equipment 
And so we have to really fine-tune our algorithms um, to make those adjustments. And then secondly, there is just weather-related protection and waterproofing and, you know, things like that that, that we have to figure out as well. But that's a... That, that, that's something we're pretty confident we're going to be able to figure out quickly. Yeah, I, I mean, I, I think of a sport like golf, and I go, man, oh, man, it would be incredible if you could capture all of that stuff and give you these viewpoints. But good yeah. Lord, trying to outfit a, a golf course and get where everybody is going to be at any point in time and with all the different shades and where they would be, I, I don't even know how you would even begin to try to tackle something like that. Right. Well, again, uh, I, I should take a step back with the way our – technology works. So if you look at a basketball court, if we were in Oracle Arena uh, for last week's game, what we do is we film the entire court. Then we kind of crop out that image through our algorithms. And so if you were to extend that to outdoors, it was a football arena or a soccer arena, we would film the entire pitch. And let's say there's a, there are penalty kicks on one side of the court, so maybe one-fifth of the pitch is being used. We would just crop out that image and zoom into there. Again, the, the idea that in version 4.0, 5.0, we're going to be able to crop out images from anywhere in that entire pitch, you kind of layer that onto the golf setting where we're going to be able to, through our cameras, film basically the entire course and then crop out images of that golfer or of the ball or of, you know, other things happening on the golf course. It's not actually going to be that hard for us hmm. once we figure out the outdoors and the lighting. Um, what's your background, Milton? Were you a huge sports fan? I was. I was. I, I played basketball in high school and college at the University of Pennsylvania. My first job out of college was the intern for the Dream Team in Barcelona just a dream job. I often joke it's been all downhill since there because it couldn't get better than that for a basketball fan. I worked on Wall Street for 10 years, but at the same time, I was coaching inner city kids up in the Bronx, um, and a number of NBA players came through our programs during their formative years. So guys like Elton Brand and Sebastian Telfair and Ben Gordon, they all came through the Dykeman basketball program at different points in their youth. Um, and so I got very involved with the training of young kids. And then in 2003, I left finance to try to become an NBA assistant coach. So I had my own training business where I was working with over 40 NBA players. Um, I got to work with the likes of Dwayne Wade, Blake Griffin, uh, Russell Westbrook. So it, it was a really fun journey for me. And then I spent five years working for the Brooklyn Nets for ownership and front office, and then pivoted to Key Motion in 2015. Well, the life of a coach, who knows what you'd be doing right now, how many different teams you'd be on right now exactly. if you went down that road. That's amazing. Um, all right, I'll let you go with this because I'm just curious because it's such a big topic in, in all of this tech space right now. And it, obviously your technology could be utilized in spaces that would be of interest or advantageous for sports gamblers or fantasy players. So is that a direction that Key Motion would go, providing that kind of content? I'd say that today our plate is full. I'd say that tomorrow, version 5.0, 6.0, whatever it is, the idea is that you are going to be able to get any information you want from what we call computer vision. And Key Motion is a leader in computer vision. Today, we're just figuring out movement on the court and the framing of the action on the court. 
but eventually you will be able to figure out any data point, anything, you know, zoom in on any type of video, um, and then augment it with algorithms that are being used by, you know, not key motion, but a second spectrum or, you know, different types of analytics companies, um, and, and yeah, probably enhance the viewing and experience, you know, whatever experience it is anyone's looking for, um, all through computer vision. I, I think that's a messy way of explaining that the potential is limitless, but it's not in our near future at any time soon. Uh, I think it's in everybody's future, though, at some point. So we'll see. Uh, we'll see where it goes down the road. All right, you are. You know what? You are now the new Coach K, the coach of Key Motion. I like that. <laughs> <laughs> That's great. Milton Lee is the CEO of Key Motion. Thank you so much for joining us. We appreciate the time. Appreciate it. Up next, why reinvent the wheel when NASDAQ has already figured out how to make transactions at light speed? Pay attention, gamblers. This is the Future Sport Podcast. There are a lot of similarities between sports data and the stock market, and as analytics rise to prominence, it's almost hard to tell the difference between the two. So it would make sense that the stock market wants in on sports, and specifically, betting. Kendall Baker from Axios joins us now. So what is the NASDAQ's interest in sports betting? Sure. So, so NASDAQ, um, you know, like other stock exchanges, basically is now a technology provider for in this example, uh, sports betting marketplaces, which increasingly are looking, as you said, similarly to stock exchanges, just because you have the same type of changes in the, in the past decade or so, where there's you know a lot more um, data data requirements, there's a lot more higher speed trading. You know, in the past, if you want to make the, the direct metaphor, you used to call your bookie and place a bet. Now you're placing bets directly on your phone. You can place your bets during games. Uh, with the stock market, you know, you used to call your broker, and now you're doing those. You're making those bets, if you will, on your phone. So they're just going through a lot of the same transitions. And so naturally, NASDAQ, with experience building technology platforms for stock exchanges, are now able to provide that same um, technology platform for betting operators. And I would assume that, that NASDAQ feels like that they're positioned differently as 5G and those type of technologies come into play where bettors could use speed potentially as an advantage, right? Exactly. Yeah. Again, it's just really making that direct comparison. Anything you think think you know when it comes to stock exchanges in, ter- in terms of the the abilities, in terms of policing and and the security that's required, they have experience in those areas. And in many ways, the sports betting industry, particularly here in the U.S., is still so young and, and in need of all those things. They they've been doing this for years. And it's the in-play stuff, right? I mean, if I call my bookie and I say I want to bet on the Vikings, whatever, and kickoff's 30 minutes away, there's no rush to ensure that that gets in on time. But when we're talking about all this in-play stuff, which is what all the leagues and, of course, the betting platforms are talking about, security, quick turnarounds, I mean, really is necessary here. Oh, absolutely, yeah. In-play betting is, is, is really the prime example of, you know, the, the, the betting, the sports betting operators needing to be equipped to offer things, needing to be equipped uh, to you know, stay up to speed with you know what 
bettors are, are in need of. And in-play is a perfect example of you know, quick betting, uh, you know, high volumes at peak times, being able to handle those situations. Whereas, to your point, yeah, you know, the, the traditional pregame bet is not as much in that um, wheelhouse. What is their pitch here, though, to leagues, to betting platforms? How, why are they saying you should work with NASDAQ and our technologies over other options? Well, I think what's interesting, you know, I, I'm, I'm, to be honest, not sure what, the, what their competition looks like. I'm sure there are other providers to this. I think generally, though, NASDAQ would be one of those providers. And, you know, for, for they, they've been working with a lot of companies abroad just because the betting space is, is much more mature abroad. Uh, one of their biggest clients is the Hong Kong Jockey Club, which does, I think, more bet, more um, volume bets than Vegas does as a whole. And this is just one operator in Hong Kong, and all I do is horse horse racing, so it's insane the volume they have. But I think their, their pitch to particularly uh, U.S. Uh, betting operators is, again, just the, uh, the infancy of, of the sports betting space here is that really a lot of these operators don't have experience doing any of these things when it comes to, you know, uh, security, when it comes to, again, data, technology. So I think their pitch is, we've been doing this for longer than you guys have been around, and it's just kind of a plug-and-play. We have the technology just like you plug into, you know, WordPress to start a website, when you plug into NASDAQ to start an exchange or start a marketplace. You know, what is amazing here, though, no one ever calls betting on the stock market gambling, and it is a bet, and it's so funny that they're doing this and essentially exposing themselves as the platform of gambling that's been in this country for so long. Yeah, I think that's honestly one of the, my favorite um, analogies to make. You know, there are there are definitely some differences, of course, but, yeah, I mean, now that sports betting is becoming more uh, legit, the, the comparisons and the similarities between Betting, betting on sports and betting on companies, they, it really, they really are kind of uh, in your face when it comes to the similarities you can make. Um, and I think this is a, a perfect example of how similar they are when you have a company known for its stock exchange powering betting operators. Kendall Baker from Axios. Thank you. Thank you. That will do it for us this week. Remember, the future is now. This is the Future Sport Podcast. I'm Bram Weinstein.